But if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Exodus chapter 12. We're going to look again at 12 and chapter 13 uh, tonight. Uh, Would you just pray with me before we begin? Father, I'm thankful for those that are here. I worried all day that this beautiful weather would keep people away. And Lord, for the people you brought, I'm grateful. Reward them for their faithfulness, Lord. I pray that you would give them a supernatural download of your word, that you would pierce hearts and minds with the truth of your word, and that you would truly transform and change us. Make us look more like you, Lord. I thank you that everything we need for life and godliness has already been given to us. We just need to learn to yield to it, Lord, and walk in the power of it. So now, Father, I ask that as you... Um, as we open up your word tonight, that you would illuminate your word, that you would bring supernatural revelation. Lord, your word says that we don't even need a teacher, that your spirit will teach us and guide us into all truth. And I pray, Lord God, that there would be such a heavy spirit of wisdom and revelation that would rest upon each each person in this room, Lord God, that you would bring understanding and insight into your word. I pray, Lord, that you would give me um, just a supernatural download from heaven, Lord, that it would come into my ears and out my mouth and into the hearts and the minds of these men and women. Father, I have no desire uh, to preach a message of human wisdom. I pray, Lord God, that it would be a demonstration of your Holy Spirit's power. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The more I study the Bible the more I'm overwhelmed by it. Uh, A casual reader will never experience the takeaway found in its pages. To experience hidden treasures buried within this book is mind-blowing. One of the most fascinating of all things for me is to see the scarlet thread of redemption throughout the pages of the Bible. It reaches from Genesis to Revelation, and we see one picture after another pointing to our need for Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who redeems his people and sets them free. The Bible is full of types and shadows pointing us to Jesus. As we talked about last week, he is the Passover lamb. He is the lamb that's mentioned in Exodus 12. He's a type and shadow, or Exodus 12 is full of types and shadows of Christ, our Passover lamb. And again, the scarlet thread in Exodus shows up and points us to our need of Jesus. And as we dug into Exodus 12 last week, we saw that scarlet thread clearly in what we read and what we know about Jesus. So I just really, I felt all week that I needed to just review it with you. I really feel like it's vital that that you didn't just listen to a message last week, but that you get it deep within your spirit. And repetition is one way of doing that. So I want to review again tonight what we talked about, just briefly what we talked about. Uh, last week. Uh, Last week, you remember, we talked about the 10th and final plague that hit Egypt. It was the death of the firstborn. God said at midnight, he would pass through Egypt 
and all the firstborn in the land would die. There would be no exceptions. No one would be excluded from the firstborn of the lowliest slave girl to the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat upon the throne. We talked about the plagues being God's divine judgment against the people of Egypt. He told the people that at midnight, the death angel would pass through and, and it would be a night of awful judgment. But I really want you to keep in mind that it did not come without warning. And God in his mercy and grace, who knows that we have a God who is full of mercy and grace. And God in his mercy and grace had offered a way of escape. And as today, there was provision for salvation. There's provision for deliverance from this death that he was about to bring. But the choice was theirs to either accept his plan or to rebel against it. God would pass through and either bring death or pass over and bring exemption. The choice was theirs, which one they received. I found out this week that the word Hebrew, it means to cross over or to pass through. Isn't that interesting? To cross over from death into life or to pass through and receive death. The choice was theirs. And I think that's beyond coincidence. If they wanted to be passed over and exempt from judgment, there were specific stipulations that God made that needed to be followed. You say, Rhea, that isn't fair. No, what is, what's fair, what is not fair is that we are given the chance at life at all. That's what's not fair. God had designed a plan for salvation. His instructions were to take a lamb each man had to take a lamb for himself. We talked last week about a lamb, the lamb, your lamb. Uh, that was fascinating to me that, that it couldn't just be a lamb. It, it couldn't just be, you, there, there aren't just many ways to salvation. There are not many ways to deliverance. You can't, Jesus was not just a, a good prophet. He, he wasn't just a, a good man. He was the savior of all men. He was not just a lamb. He wasn't just the lamb. He needs to be your lamb. He said himself, he is the way, not a way. There aren't many ways to heaven. He is the way. And we talked about that at length last week. But he has to become your lamb. Scripture was very clear. A lamb, the lamb, your lamb. It's a personal decision to take that lamb. We're working right now on some t-shirts for, for next week, I hope. And it says, take the lamb. It has to be your lamb and you have to take it. You have to receive it. He says, whosoever believes. There's a whoso, you are a whosoever we discovered that the Passover lamb had to be without blemish. We, we know again as a type and shadow that Jesus, our Passover lamb, was without spot, without wrinkle. He, he was perfect. He was sinless. It's such a picture. We found out that the lamb had to be male. It's a picture of Jesus, male. He had to be, the lamb had to be in its first year. Meaning the lamb had to be in its prime. It couldn't be a, a really young lamb. It wouldn't be an old lamb. It had to be in its prime. And Jesus, he, he was in his prime. It means fully matured, full of life, not, not near the end of life. Christ was fully matured in manhood. He was still full of life. He, he wasn't sacrificed when he was 12 and in the temple. He wasn't sacrificed at 100 years old. 
And again, it's another picture of Christ who died while he was in his prime. The lamb had to be separated from the rest of the flock and examined for three days. Christ lived separated. He, he, was, he was different than the other flock. He was different than the other men in the world. He was separated. He was consecrated to God. And like the lamb who was examined and lived under scrutiny for three days, Christ lived among people for three years, examined under the watchful eye of the world. Passover lamb had to be kept within the household for three days. Not only so they could examine and make sure it was without blemish, but it had to be part of the household. The household had to identify with it as belonging to them. And can I just tell you that we have to identify with Christ as our Savior, as the Passover lamb. He has to be part of our life. We have to take him into our life. And on the fourth day, the lamb had to be sacrificed Jesus lived among the people, and he was without sin, without blemish. Even Pilate said, I can find no fault in this man. And he was arrested and put on trial, examined, and he was crucified. The lamb, Passover lamb, was to be killed at twilight. Do you know that Christ died at the... the um, at three o'clock, which would have been the, the, the last hour of prayer. It would have been uh, at the, the time of the evening sacrifice. I'm sorry, at the evening sacrifice. And take a look at verse three in chapter 12. I want to show you something I didn't see last week that I just discovered this week and it was fascinating to me and I just want to share it with you. Uh, verse three of chapter 12, it says, speak to all of the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. Oh, that 10th that of the month, take for yourself a lamb. I just want to talk to you about numbers. I, I was looking this week at all the numbers in the scripture, and it was just fascinating to me. And, and the 10th, uh, the number 10 is symbolic of the law. So when God says, take it on the 10th of the month, he knew what he was doing. You see, because the law said, that, that, can I just tell you that we have to, the wages of sin is death, that we deserve death because of what we've done. And the law needed to be fulfilled. And that's why Christ, our Passover lamb, went to the cross of Calvary. That's why he said, it is finished. Rhea's sin debt is finished, paid in full. Rhea, the wages of sin is death, but I took the death that you deserved. I'm going to be your substitute. I'm going to be your Passover lamb. I'm going to take what you deserve so you can have life. So it's not a coincidence that it was the 10th of the month. Look at verse 6, the lamb must be kept until the 14th of the month. So it was kept for four days. And, and four is always symbolic of the four corners of the world. I'm just going to tell you that this Passover lamb, it was going to be given. Christ was going to be given for the whole world. It was his will that none perish. For God so loved the world, the four corners of the world that Passover was given for, that Passover lamb was given for. But what's fascinating to me is that the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the Dalit. And, 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 and the Hebrew alphabet works with pictograms. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the ancient Hebrew alphabet, uh, the, 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 the letter, the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet is a picture of a doorpost, of a lentil. If you look at it, it looks exactly like a doorpost. It's, it's drawn that way. And it is actually, delete is really, uh, it is the word for door or gate. And it indicates resistance and the state of selflessness and hum humility that's needed to pass through it. It's not a coincidence that the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet means door. 
and it looks like a closed tent door. So it's not just an entranceway, but a barrier. You see, that barrier has to be removed to be able to cross through that door. And I'm just going to tell you, when you, when you open a door, remove the barrier, and you pass through, you leave one place and enter another, and it's a picture because Christ calls himself the door. And what he's saying is he's going to remove the barrier between us and God, and we get to pass through him into a new life. We pass from death into life. That is what four means. So you keep that lamb for four days. You have to approach the door and reach out to open it. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Not he might be, he will be. He is the means of crossing over from death into life. It's a, a door is a picture of transition. A gate is a picture of transition. You leave one place and you go to another. It, it, and, and in this case, it means transition from, from what is bad into something that's good. On day four of creation, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars in order to separate darkness from light. It's another picture of what he's doing in being the Passover lamb. He came. He came to deliver us from darkness into light. We learned last week that the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed and the blood applied to the doorposts and the lentil of the house. You see, that house would have been under the judgment and wrath of God. And the application of that blood on the doorpost said, said to everyone around them that they had put their hope and their trust in the lamb that was slain. And that lamb became a substitution for the death that should have hit their family. You see, the firstborn among men substituted himself. Do you see that on the cross of Calvary for us? And just like the, the, the Hebrews had to apply the blood of that sacrificial lamb to the doorposts and the lentil. We talked last week how when they did that, the blood would have run down and it would have made the shape of a cross. Oh, you see, God, none of this took God from, by surprise. You see, back in, in Genesis, the whole way into the New Testament, it was all pointing to the need of a Savior. Adam and Eve, what did God do when they sinned? He took a, a, a substitute, he killed it, and then he had put the skins onto Adam and Eve to hide their nakedness. He covered them with blood. Do you see it? And so even then, none of this is taking God by surprise. It's all calculated. It's all thought through. It's all pointing to our need of Jesus. It's interesting to me, we talked last week that, that the sad thing is that the sacrifice could have been made but never applied to the doorposts of their house. And in that case, the sacrifice would have been without effect. You see, Christ, your Passover lamb, died for you. But if you never apply what he did on the cross of Calvary to your life, it will be without effect. We have to make the choice to apply the blood of Jesus to our life through faith. So at midnight, when the death angel was passing through, it was looking uh, for, for blood. And if it saw the blood of the sacrificial lamb, it would pass over. It would not visit their home. They would be exempt from the judgment that that death angel was bringing. That was God's way of salvation. And the Lord said it will be a memorial. If you look in the scripture, it says this will be a memorial for the generations to come. That means for you and me. And it should be kept as an everlasting ordinance. I didn't tell you last week, but that word ordinance there means something prescribed. 
Oh, you don't understand. What he was saying is this sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb, will be an ordinance. It'll, it's the prescribed method of salvation. There must be blood. We don't get to make the rules. We're just called to follow them. And the observation of this ordinance taught the people of Israel that if they were a blood-bought people, redeemed by the blood of the lamb, they could have life. I was... Uh, talking last week about how scripture says they had to eat the flesh that night and it was another type and shadow because Jesus said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will not have life within you. They had to eat that sacrifice and so do, do you and I. We have to partake in what Christ did on the cross. We have to receive it into our life. We talked about how it had to be roasted and not boiled, which I, I could preach on that until I was blue in the face. But the word roasted there, it just means it, it's a picture uh, of torment. It's a, it's a picture uh, of, of um, the heat turned up in Jesus' life. He, he, he was tortured. He, he was, it, was, it was painful. It's a picture of his suffering, but no bone could have been broken in that Passover. Do you see? Do you see how there's too much here to be coincidence? There was not one bone broken on Je in Jesus's body. We talked about how well, on a crucifixion, how they would always go and break the legs because they would push themselves up to try to delay death. And when they broke the legs, they wouldn't be able to extend their diaphragm and they would die by suffocation. So it is vital that you understand that not one bone was broken in Jesus's body because I'm just here to tell you, he didn't come to live. He came to die so that we could live. He didn't fight death. He, he surrendered to it and how our life would change if we just didn't fight death anymore, if we just died so we could live. But what strikes me is that the Israelites had to do all of this by faith. This just didn't make sense to me. Can you just imagine? I, I, just, I just can't imagine them, them this sacrificing this lamb and, and the firstborn in the house saying, Daddy, are you sure? Are you sure this is without blemish? And, and then them sacrificing it. And as they're cutting it after it's roasted, saying, make sure you don't break any bones. Are you positive there aren't any broken bones? Are you sure there's not a little fracture in there somewhere? Can you imagine what that must have been like? Really and truly, if we just put the blood on the doorpost, are you kidding me? That I've seen what God can do. I've seen the wrath of God. I've seen what these plagues are like. Are you absolutely sure this is all it takes? Are you positive that, that we're not going to be affected by this death angel? You see, they, they had to receive what God said by faith. It seemed too simple. And can I just tell you, it seems too simple to us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift. It's just a gift I have to take by faith. It doesn't make sense that I don't have to work for it. It doesn't make sense that I don't have to be good enough that it's just a gift that is just given to me. That just that seems too simple when we're talking about crossing over from death into life, that we're talking about maybe spending an eternity separated from God, and you're telling me all it takes is the blood of Jesus applied to the doorposts of my life? Absolutely, I am. That is all that it takes. They had to eat all the lamb and we talked last week about how no part of the sacrifice was to be de denied. We had to accept the entire sacrifice and what it meant to us. It meant that he wasn't just our savior. He was our deliverer. He wasn't just our deliverer. He was our Lord. He wasn't just our Lord. He was our healer. I could keep going, but all that, it, all, all that entire sacrifice, what it brought to us, we have to receive it all, partake of it all. Some of you like that he's your savior, but you don't like that he's your Lord. <laughs> we have to partake of the entire sacrifice and what it meant. 
They ate the lamb with unleavened bread, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight, and bitter herbs. And we talked about how bitter herbs, when they got that in their mouth, it just would just like stick with them. It would be a bite, and it was a picture of the bite of sin, and how it just brings results. It brings repercussions that we don't like to have to live with. We don't like to have to taste. We don't like to have to deal with Talked about how the Israelites were to live with their, their, their tunic tucked in and their walking stick in their hand and their sandals on. An Israelite would never have wore shoes in the house. And yet God said, I want you to have your tunic on and tucked in your belt. I want you to have your walking stick in your hand and I want you to have your shoes on ready to leave. And we talked about how the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Rhea, that's how I want you to live your life, ready, ready to send, to, to begin your journey to, to the, the land flowing with milk and honey, to your promised land, which is heaven. We need to live ready for heaven. Are you ready for heaven? Just another type and shadow. We see over all, this whole passage in Exodus 11, we see such a picture of Christ, our Passover lamb. The Exodus would be one in haste, and it's a shadow of our desire uh, to get away from sin and slavery quickly, to not entertain sin for a minute, because Egypt was a picture of slavery, a picture of slavery to sin. And so, as I said, the Bible, especially Exodus 12, is so full of types and patterns, and Passover is one of those types and patterns. It shows the pattern of salvation. The need for a Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, to be our substitute. And just as the Israelites were delivered from death by applying the blood of the sacrificial lamb to the doorposts of their home, so we are saved and delivered from death by applying the blood of Jesus to the doorposts of our life. But then we will read tonight that they had further instructions that they needed to, to get rid of and remove all the leaven from their homes. And, and that's where we're going to pick up tonight. And that's just a picture of holy living. And, and if you'll turn with me to Exodus 12, I want to read verses 14 through 20. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord Throughout your generations, you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days, and if you underline in your Bible, underline seven days. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats unleavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel." On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, and only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day, I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance." In the first month, on the 14th day, those are going to be important. On the first month of the 14th day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses. Since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a stranger 
or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened, and all of your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Turning over to Exodus 13, verses 4 through 10. On this day you're going out in the month of Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of Canaanites and Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your father to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days, there it is again, you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. You see, he's repeating himself again. He wants to make sure they get this. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen in your quarters. And you shall tell your son that that day, saying, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt." Turning back to 1 Corinthians, this is where I'm going to teach from tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's Acts and then there's Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Father, I thank you that your spirit is here in power. I thank you that it's going to fall in might. I thank you, Lord God, that you're going to fill my mouth with your words and the anointing that breaks every yoke is going to be upon me. I thank you that I'm going to preach as one with authority. And Lord God, it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by your spirit. And so, Father, I submit to your spirit this evening, Lord God, and I ask you to just fill my mouth and open up hearts and ears, I pray in Jesus' name. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6 Really important that you see this, or six and seven, I'm sorry. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We saw in Exodus 12 and 13 that in the evening of Passover, God told the Israelites to get the leaven out of their houses, out of their homes. We've talked numerous times about our home being the temple, the temple of our Holy, the Holy Spirit, the doorposts of our, of our hearts. Do you, do you see the connection here? And so when he tells the Israelites to get the leaven out of their homes, he's telling us to get the leaven out of our life. Do you see the, the, the connection there. And you say, well, Rhea, what is the big deal with leaven? <laughs> and, and why do I have to keep my house free of it for seven days with this feast? Well, I, it's important that you understand that the, the number seven is, the, is a number of completion or perfection. It, it's not seven days. It's a picture of doing it until it's completely out. Do you, do you see? And, and, and we're to keep our house free from leaven. What, what is leaven? And the, the leaven that the, 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 the Israelites would have thought of when they heard this is not like the leaven we think of. We think of baking soda, baking powder. We think of, uh, of yeast, do we not? And, and that would not have been what came to their mind. You see, leaven that they would have thought of would have been, uh, when I was a little girl, uh, my grandma used to make sourdough biscuits. Are, are anybody familiar? And she had what she called a starter, an air 
everybody wanted my grandma's starter. She was such a good cook, such a good baker, and, and everybody wanted some of her starter. And what she would do is get a little scoop of that starter out, and she would pass it on to somebody. And then they needed to nurture that starter, and they needed to feed it several times a week. They would feed it with sugar. It would work for me. They would feed it with sugar. They, they would add things to it that would make it ferment and grow. So what started out as a little cup of starter eventually was enough for them. And that little starter would get in the dough that they would make these sourdough biscuits from. They'd just take a little bit of that starter, dump it in the dough, and then it would corrupt that whole dough. It would work its way through that whole dough. It would affect that whole dough, and it would cause it to rise up. Are you with me? What, what would happen is there's something about it mixing with the sugar in the dough that, that would cause carbon dioxide uh, to, to really begin to, to build up and bubble up. And, and so it would blow up the dough. And what really made it look like it was more dough there, it never really made more dough. It just made it appear to be more dough. It just that, 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 that carbon dioxide would just blow it up and, and give the appearance give the appearance, somebody say appearance, <laughs> gave the appearance of, uh, of, of really um, it gave the appearance of being something it was not. And so that's the idea that they would have had when, when God said, get the leaven out. It, 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 they, they understood. You see, the, the word leaven there that, that God used, it comes from, from the Hebrew root word, meaning to leave behind or to remain. It, it means a remnant. And so the starter they would have thought of was a remnant of, of, of the dough they had originally used. They would keep a little bit back and, and then use that the other bit to bake the bread. But they would all always keep a remnant behind. They'd pinch a piece off and leave some behind for the next batch. They'd work that left behind remnant into fresh dough that they would use, they were using and it would work its way through and it would affect that whole batch. It would corrupt, if you will, the whole batch. Webster says that leaven is something that modifies. Like sin, it affects whatever it touches. Leaven if you haven't gotten it by now, is a picture of sin. It's a symbol of sin. It's symbolic of death and decay and how it spreads and infiltrates its host, <laughs> us. Getting the sin out of our life is the picture that, that we've been given here. And just like when bread rises, it rises because the natural process of decay, that's what sin does to us. And just like leaven puffs up, you see, that's what Jesus said. We have to be aware of, of the leaven of the Pharisees. What he was saying is these were the religious leader, but they were puffed up with pride. They were puffed up with spiritual arrogance. They looked really good on the outside, but they were full of corruption on the inside. So he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He used that word leaven then. Like sin, leaven works silently secretly, <laughs> gradually. You can think, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have to do this little sin. It's not hurting anybody. It, nobody will ever know. It really isn't gonna hurt my relationship with Christ. It's just a little sin. And just like a little bit of leaven will leaven the entire loaf, so will a little bit of sin. 
We can't afford to have a remnant left in our life. We have to utterly destroy it. I love the stories in the Old Testament where they were told to utterly destroy anything that the enemy left behind. Utterly destroy the idols. Utterly destroy the high places. Utterly destroy anything that would bring sin into their camp. Completely destroy it. Don't leave any remnant behind Leaven, like sin, its influence infiltrates the whole loaf, our whole life. And when we feed it like that starter, it will grow. It will grow. Brian Hudson said, leaven is a yeast, and yeast is the additive that makes bread rise and look impressive. Yeast does not create more bread. It only provides the illusion of more substance. (laughs) And we live in a culture where this is becoming the norm, where, 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 where religion is filled with inflated egos or people who look impressive but are really just a bunch of hot air, people that, that, that look impressive on the outside but are full of death on the inside like the, the Pharisees who work really hard to give a good appearance, but you see the yeast, the sin of this world, instead of dealing with it, they've allowed it to infiltrate their life. Yeast produces that carbon dioxide, and you know that carbon dioxide is a gas that can be deadly, and sin is like that poison of carbon dioxide. It doesn't take much yeast to make bread dough rise. In the same way, a small amount of sin can spread and infiltrate a person's life. When we tolerate a little sin, problems will grow. And and just like the the Greek definition for leaven, it says it, it will corrupt somebody else's life as well. Riken says that that leaven, unleavened bread represented holiness. And it symbolized their decisive break with an old life of sin. God was saying, do not tolerate any leaven. Go sweep your house clean. Look for it everywhere in your house and get, don't even tolerate a little tiny crumb of leaven. Sweep it clean because it will infiltrate everything. And I only want you to eat unleavened bread for seven days. I want you to live a life of holiness. He's saying, consecrate yourself. You see, seven days is important. What I didn't tell you, I told you that it meant perfection. It meant completion. But if you missed everything else I say tonight, don't miss this. You know what what else seven uh, represents? How many of you know that when you're unclean in the Old Testament, you had to go through all these rituals and you had to present yourself to the the priests? And for example, if you touched a dead man's body, you had to separate yourself for seven days. A woman who was on her menstrual cycle had to separate herself for seven days. If you had boils, you had to go to the priest and show them your boil and then you had to separate yourself for what? Guess what? Seven days. I, I could just keep going with all, the, all of the unclean regulations in Leviticus that said, if you do this, you have to separate yourself for seven days. <laughs> do you know that when a priest was consecrated, 
When Aaron and his sons, I think it's in Leviticus, uh, don't quote me, 19, uh, in Leviticus somewhere, where Aaron and his sons were, were being anointed as priests and they were being consecrated or set apart as priests. Do you know how many days it took for a priest to be consecrated? Seven days. <laughs> you see the theme there? He says, you're going to commemorate this day by getting the yeast out of your home for seven days. Seven was a number of consecration. Priests were consecrated for seven days. And what he was saying is, I, I want you to, I, I, I am your Passover lamb. I'm your deliverer. I'm the one that's going to take you out of slavery into the promised land. But this is what I'm asking of you. I'm asking that you separate yourself, that you consecrate yourself unto me. You see, we're saved by grace uh, through faith and not by works so that no man can boast. That's, that's when God looks at us. You see, that's the gift. When he looks at us, it's justification. It's just as if we've never sinned. We don't do anything to earn that. That is the gift that's been given to us. But the next step is, is sanctification. You see, our position before God, that's our, our position is that we've been justified. It's just as if we've never sinned. When God looks at us, he sees the Passover lamb, the blood of the lamb, and the death angel passes over. But he doesn't want us to live in that place. You see, that's our position and nothing will ever change it. There is nothing that you can do that will ever separate you from the love of God. Nothing. You can get all the leaven you want in your house. It won't separate you because it's a gift. But you see, that's our position. But our condition, <laughs> I still got some leaven in my life. And that's the sanctification process. You see, the same grace that saved me. Who knows we're saved by grace. Grace is God's enabling power. <laughs> that same grace that saved me is now living within me. And now I get to say I have the power to say no to ungodliness. I have the power to say no to leaven. I can sweep my house clean because I don't need that stuff in my life anymore. I want to look like him. I want to act like him. And guess what? It's not me doing it in my power. It's the same grace that saved me is now empowering me to say no to those things. And he says, I am your Passover lamb, but now here's what we're going to do until it's complete. <laughs> I want you to separate yourself, to consecrate yourself, to get the leaven out. Who has some leaven they want to get rid of tonight? He's saying, I want you to go and sweep your house clean. Don't even let a crumb remain because the Christ is your Passover lamb. It's already been done. It's completed. It's just as if you've never sinned, and now the power to not sin is in you. You've been crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives within you. Your sins have been crucified on the, on the cross of Calvary. And now the power to say no to those things is in you. You say, well, Rhea, I, I don't. I got some leaven. Yeah, that's your condition. But let me remind you tonight of your position you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It is just as if you've never sinned with God. You see, I, I, when I get my grandson, praise the Lord. I said to Brooke tonight, I was talking to her on the phone, and I said, baby girl, you're going to get so tired of seeing me. You're going to be like, mama, it's time to go home. It's time to go home. 
You wore out your welcome. Because I'm just going to hold that little thing forever. I said, Ricky, I can hardly wait to hold that little thing in my arms. But who knows the day is going to come when he doesn't want to be in my arms anymore. He wants to crawl. And then he wants to start walking. And I'm going to celebrate the day that he starts walking. But you know what? When he starts walking, I guarantee you he's not going to do it perfect. He's probably going to fall. Now, when my grandbaby falls... And Micah said, I can't even believe you did that. I'm done with you. GB's done with you. I'm not coming back here anymore if you're going to fall like that. (laughs) Am I going to do that? I'm going to be like, you walked three steps. I can't even believe you walked three steps. Everybody cheer. I'm going to be coming here on Monday night and say, my baby boy walked three steps. I will be so excited about it. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Are you going to fall? Are you going to mess up? Do you still have some leaven that you got to deal with in your life? Yes. But he is not angry with you about that. He's cheering you on, saying everything you need for life and godliness is in you. You got it in you, girl. You got it in you, boy. Tap into it. Start walking in it. And if you fall... I'm going to be there cheering for you to get back up. And that's sanctification. Work out your salvation, your deliverance with fear and trembling. It's a progress. Peripateo, Leah. It means to make progress in your walk. To make progress with Christ. That means I should look different than I looked last week. And that is not by works. That's by me submitting to the Holy Spirit and walking according to the Spirit and not according to my flesh. People just push my buttons like I cannot even tell you who say to me, Rhea, your teaching works. Are you crazy? Do you study the Word of God? Because we need to talk. Because I see the same grace that saved you, empowers you to walk godly. Mm, that's, Dave, is that my button? That's my button. It is my button. We got to move on because <laughs> it's my button. First Corinthians 5, 7. Therefore, purge out the old leaven. I want you to know that this tense is active imperative. My Friday morning people, you can tell them what that means. Active means I am doing the action. And imperative means this is a command. So this is a command to us to do it ourselves, not to say, God, can you just get this out of me? It means that I am called to do the action. And he says, purge out the old leaven. The the root word to purge is where we get our word cathartic. And I just love this. I couldn't have preached this any better if I'd made it up myself. I'm just telling you the word purge out the the leaven. When we get rid of the leaven, oh, it is cathartic. I promise you. You see, I I was once lost, but now I'm found. I lived. Can I tell you, when I preach about sin, it's because I've experienced it. I've lived in it. I was in the muck and the mire, and he picked my feet up and put me on solid ground. You see, I understand what it's like when Paul says, I am the chief of all sinners. I agree with him there. I could have said that myself. And I'm here to tell you that when we make the decision to let that Holy Spirit living within us empower us to say no to ungodliness and we begin to purge out the sin in our life, it is cathartic. It's 
It's not a coincidence that God made the root of that word mean cathartic. He says it has to be purged out. We have to do it. We have to be intentional. You will see when, if we do the, the Passover dinner, you'll see that, that the Israelites, when they celebrate Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they, they will go through their house. They'll hide unleavened bread in their house or leavened bread in their house and they'll have the children go look for it. And they sweep it just as it's just a fun little thing they do. And they sweep it clean and they look in their pockets. They dig in their pockets. They, they look everywhere for crumbs and they want to sweep their house clean. They don't even want a tiny remnant remaining. Notice that, that it was told, we were told in the Exodus passage, and this is really important that you get this. In the Exodus passage, it said that if anyone in your camp does not or eats leavened bread, he should be cut off from Israel. That really bothered me. I've been studying it for some time, and, and I looked up the word cut off, and it means cut off. And I was like, Lord, I just don't understand this. Can you talk to me about this? And you take this so seriously that you want them cut off from Israel. And then I looked up the word Israel, and you know, because of Jacob, God changing his name to Israel, Israel means God prevails. And the Lord said, Rhea, when you allow leaven in your life and you refuse to deal with it, you refuse to sweep it clean, you refuse to get it out of your house, I can't prevail anymore in you. You allow bitterness or anger or hatred or unforgiveness to prevail, Rhea. When you say no to my ways, what you do is you allow that, that, that sin in you to grow and to take over your life, and you don't let God prevail. It says, purge out the old leaven. That word old there, it, it means old or ancient. It really is a picture of the old man, the old remnant, uh, the, who I used to be. Re-deal with who you used to be and get rid of it. Purge it out. The word leaven in the Greek, not the Hebrew, the word leaven in the Greek, if you look it up, it's a metaphor of inveterate mental and moral corruption viewed in its tendency to infect others. Oh, you need to hear that definition again because you're sitting way too quiet. The word leaven is a metaphor of inveterate mental and moral corruption viewed in its tendency to infect others. Who knows that our sin does not just affect us? I had to look up the word inveterate. I'm sure you're smarter than I am and you, you already know what that means, but it means firmly established by long persistence. It means habitual. Oh, I wonder if there's anyone here tonight that has a habitual, persistent, long established habit in their life. That's infecting other people. That's taking over your life. The Bible says we need to purge it. We need to get rid of it. Leaven is applied to that which, though small in quantity, by its influence pervades a thing, either in a good sense or a bad sense. He's saying get rid of that stuff in your life. It will pervade your whole life. He says, get rid of the old, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. And that word uh, that you may be a new lump, that, that's equivalent to being born again. What he's saying is you've been born again. That's not who you are. 
You're a new lump. You're unleavened. Act like it. Get rid of that, of that leavened stuff in your life. For indeed, Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us so that we could have life, so that sin no longer held power in our life. Verse 8, therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, with the old man, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. I really want to stop and just look at, at the word malice and wickedness because scripture tells us here that that's a type of leaven. It's a type of thing that will corrupt your life. The word malice there, listen to me, means the desire to injure. It means ill will towards another. It means wickedness is, that is not ashamed to break God's law. He says, that's 11. It'll corrupt your life. He said, the leaven of malice and wickedness, the word wickedness there is depravity, iniquity, evil purposes and desire. But here's what I want you to see. It comes from the root word meaning hurtful or causing pain or trouble to another. That's leaven. Can I tell you? It's leaven that will corrupt your life and destroy you. It's leaven that will cause you as a Christian to look good on the outside, on the exterior, but the inside will be full of death. I have no interest in being that kind of Christian. Can I just tell you? He says, you are already a new lump. It's already accomplished. That's your position. It may not be your condition, but it is your position. You are unleavened in God's eyes means free from fault. That's how God views us, free from fault. Now, if you understand that, if you and I understand that he paid a price he did not owe because we owed a price we could not pay, that he is our Passover lamb, that, that, that he paid the wages of our sin so that we could have life and not death, so that we could cross over from death into life. Do you understand? Do you understand the, the power of this, that he is our Passover lamb, that we didn't deserve this. We deserve hell and we got heaven. Do, do you understand that? All a work of grace, not anything we did on our own, a gift. Now, if we understand that Christ is our Passover lamb, why would we want Why would we entertain even for a moment doing anything that would break his heart? And it's because we downplay it so much that we don't think it affects him. We have two extremes in regards to holiness. We either embrace it to the point of legalism or we ignore it and it destroys our life. We're not talking about either extreme here. We're talking about the fact that we've been saved by grace this isn't about works. It's about that same grace that saved us now, empowering us to walk out holiness. He says that everything we need for life and godliness, he put in us. So he says, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Hudson says, Paul used the occasion to remind the Corinthians and us that God wants to get the leaven out of our lives and our churches. Nothing in Jesus is pretentious or phony. Hmm. Nothing in Jesus is phony. He is completely sincere and true. And we should reflect the same. That should be what our life looks like. That word sincerity, it means purity. 
means showing innocence, not phony. It describes a quality possessed by God and that which is to characterize the conduct of believers. And truth is the opposite of deceit and lying. That I'm not trying to deceive you with who I am. That what you see is what you get. I'm living in the light as he is in the light. I'm not hiding any secret sin. I'm not trying to disguise any leaven in my life. I'm living in sincerity and truth. He says, let us keep the feast. That means a daily examination for leaven. With the, the knowledge that Christ died for us so that we could be free from sin. It should be an intentional ridding our life from sin. Let us keep that feast. My question for you as I close is, do you have any leaven in your house? Remember, leaven is symbolic of sin. It's symbolic of even the tiniest bit of something in your life that could grow and pollute your whole life and maybe infect somebody else's life. Do you have any? I'm not going to call you out and ask you to come forward. I'm just asking yourself, I'm just asking you to examine yourself tonight. One of my favorite scriptures is examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. That bothers me. Of course I'm in the faith, Lord. He says, examine yourself daily to see if you're in the faith. Are we doing that as a church? You see, we have tolerated sin and, and called it uh, loving somebody. <laughs> We are tolerating what God says is wrong. Do you see that? And yet, if, if we have a voice that rises up against that in the church, maybe somebody won't come anymore. I don't care. You see, I'm going to stand before God someday. You see, people say, Rhea, why do you minister to homosexuals? Why do you let homosexuals come to your Bible study? Rhea, why do you deal with people who have addictions? You and Dave do that sexual addiction stuff. You, those people should be put out of the church. Rhea, you have such tolerance for drug addicts. Why, why do you minister to drug addicts, Rhea? Aren't you afraid they're going to mess up your life? No, you know what I'm afraid of? <laughs> I'm afraid of the person who has the leaven of a Pharisee who works really good to look great on the outside, on the exterior, but the inside is full of corruption and they're walking around giving bad name to the name of Christ. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm not afraid of the addicts. I'm not afraid of the prostitutes. I'm not afraid of the people having affairs. What I'm afraid of are the ones who are acting like they've got their life all together and are reflecting an image of Christ to a lost and dying world that is full of leaven. That's what I'm afraid of. Drug addicts, a piece of cake for me. You introduce them to Christ and they're all out. They need hope. The sex addicts, man, their lives are a mess. They understand they need Christ. They're not fooling anybody. Their sin's been exposed. They've done some things that they can't even hide anymore. They can't hide their leaven. It's out in the open. It's destroying their marriage. It's destroying their career. It's destroying their reputation. Oh, that doesn't bother me. Homosexuals doesn't bother me at all. What bothers me 
is what bothered Jesus. Beware of the, le- the yeast of the Pharisees. Church, I might not know what your leaven is, but I promise you that there's a God who sees. And I'm not trying to make you leave here condemned tonight because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I'm inviting you to examine your life and to sweep the leaven, to keep the feast, because Christ, your Passover lamb, has been slain for you. I'm going to ask Ian to come forward and just close. But as he closes, I'm, I'm going to ask you. For seven days, he says, seven days being the number of days in consecration, separation. Can I challenge you this week to begin sweeping? Saying, Lord, I'm going to separate myself from that sin that I really like to indulge in. I'm not going to excuse it anymore. Lord, I'm going to really look at that thing. And I'm going to believe that if you had the power, my Passover lamb, if you had the power to take me from death into life, you certainly have the power to help me walk away from this sin. Can I challenge you? To find one area of your life. Maybe you're better than I am. Maybe you don't have any area of your life that, that needs to be dealt with and looked at. But I'm going to challenge you to find one area, one crumb this week of leaven. And say, Lord, I'm going to sweep it clean this week. Remember, you're not doing the sweeping anyway. He gives you the power to say no to that thing but I'm going to separate myself from it. Consecrate myself unto you because he says, you are a royal priesthood. Do, do you know that you're a priest? Wait a second. I got I to gotta find the scripture and read it to you because it doesn't sound like you know that. And I want to make sure you get that deep within your spirit. He says, but you are a chosen people. Oh, you've been chosen by God. I deal with people all the time that talk about rejection, reach back to their childhood, that they have a spirit of abandonment, they have a spirit of rejection. I'm like, do you understand? You've been chosen by God. Who cares who's rejected you? You've been chosen by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of this universe, the lover of your soul, the only one who you're safe with. You've been chosen by him. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy, set-apart, consecrated nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Revelation says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins, that's our Passover lamb, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, has made us kings and priests to his God and Father to him be glory and dominion forever Amen Do you know that you're his special possession? 
one of my favorite scriptures is that you are his treasured possession. Do you know what that word means? You're his secret stash. You see, in Bible times, a king would have access to a treasury where all his gems and his, his treasury was, where all the valuable things were. But then he had this thing that was called, the word that's used for treasured possessions in the Old Testament. And it was his secret stash. It was his most valuable treasures that belonged only to him. That's the word he uses for you and me. That we are God's treasured possessions, his secret stash. Dave and I have seven children. And when you're raising seven children, it's every man for himself. Because, I mean, he's a pastor. We're, on, we're feeding seven children on a pastor's salary. It, it is every man for himself at dinner. And, and so what would happen is my growing boys, they would take a hamburger and I might only have one or two extra hamburgers left over. And so they were terrified of not getting what they wanted. And so what they would do is they'd take a hamburger, then they'd lick their finger and they'd touch another one. So they'd be like, yeah, nobody wants that that aside for me. And, and, and so it, that's how you learn to live with when you're in a family of, seven, uh, of nine. And I thought Dave and I were above that. <laughs> then one day I was cleaning out Dave's nightstand. And I noticed there was an old t-shirt in his nightstand. I'm like, what is his t-shirt doing in here? It belongs in his big boy. And I pulled out the t-shirt and I was shocked to find my favorite candy, a big stash in his nightstand drawer covered up by that t-shirt. He had a secret stash even from me. It was his treasured possession, his secret stash. <laughs> God says you and I are his secret stash the one he keeps separated from everybody else the one meant only for him oh can I tell you you were meant only for him you are his special possession why would we want to live corrupted by leaven even if nothing will ever separate us from his love why would we want to tolerate that in our life when he's given us the power to say no to it? Let that be your challenge this week.